partner with the Innovation Institute at the University of Pittsburgh, you're listening to Bending Steel. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and maybe even good night. What's going on? I'm your host, Jesse Irwin, and welcome to Bending Steel, the podcast brought to you by the Innovation Institute here at the University of Pittsburgh, where we're talking entrepreneurship, innovation, and Well, all the things you probably hear about way too often at this point, because it's not your average Pittsburgh anymore. It's not. You've got Google, Uber, startups out the wazoo, Pitt and CMU are grinding away, just adding to to the collection of entrepreneurship. You've got technology being embraced by our own local government. CEOs, investors, game changers, these are the people we want to talk to. We want to figure out how we've all of a sudden in the past 50, 60 years changed it from steel to silicon. I gotta give a shout out to our producer and resident entrepreneur, Sean O'Brien. Sean's here on behalf of the Innovation Institute to to keep me in check, make sure I don't uh, don't swear or say anything stupid. Not that I, well, you know what, I've probably said something stupid already, and it's only, what are we, a minute in? This is good, it's a good start, so thanks for being on board, Sean. Without further ado, let's just get into it. Our first guest is Justin Ruoff. I got to sit down with Justin. And uh, we got to talk to him. He's an entrepreneur, he's a software designer, he's a project manager, and you know what? He happens to be a Pitt alum. That's right. But the coolest thing, he's got an app called Food Chain, which is a food-driven social media platform. It allows you to share your meal experience. So it's sort of like Tinder for local food. And I said to him how ironic this was. I had an idea, I think it was a couple years ago, it might have been in high school, uh, the idea of having sort of like a Yelp tinder type of thing but for my friend's mom's meals so whenever i went over there and like i wasn't a fan of the challah or i wasn't a fan of the you know the chicken or whatever they were making that night i could let my i could review it and let my friends know so they didn't have to experience that or if i was a huge fan then all of a sudden their kitchen's the most popping place in the neighborhood but i got to talk to justin about all of this about his background how he got from being a teenager and creating a website and selling you got to hear this conversation this is the coolest story Uh, and without further ado here's my conversation with justin ruoff and i was really pumped about it and i was like a kid i remember zeroway and then you remember stewart and maddox and so of course but then Chris Fuamatuamala Afala yep. when he was on the team. Foo. Foo. Yep, I exactly. remember him. <laughs> wow. So how did you get into this? So, I mean, I've <laughs> always been a startup kind of connoisseur. I'm, like, my dad owned a construction company out in Greensburg. It was called Ruff Construction Incorporated. Yeah. And so my whole life I watched him do the start. You know, it, it, it was his dad's before, but when he inherited it, it was, you know, two employees. And right. they were yeah, doing right. $100,000 a year, basically, out of it. And so he started to grow that, and I, you know, our family lived and died with that. We saw everything from the business, and he wasn't necessarily a great people person. He was great at the process, and I was such a young kid, I kind of saw where it died and where he couldn't grow it. It hit like a wall, plateau of it, and so that made me really interested, and we actually, that business went under when I was, I guess I was 16, and the new housing, the whole housing collapse kind of happened, and so that shut his business down, and at that point, I just had a passion for it. So then actually right after I got out of high school, I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to start a business. That was my main goal of everything. 
So I started a little business and I was big into e-com then. I was big into the internet. So I started this business selling electronics, higher end electronics, mainly, you know, laptops, nice cameras. And everything. Like an, it was an online business? Online store only, yeah. Now, why be. that? Like, why is that the route you take? If you're in construction, sure. and family, like what? Because I watched the hassles of construction all the time and uh-huh. you were, you had to grind it out for dollars basically, you know, and you're dealing with the hassle all the time. And plus... It was kind of a dying market at that time, or at least in, <laughs> at that time going on. Yeah. And so I really thought that the internet was a, a prospering market and something that I could get on with and grow, get on with that. Well, is there anything you're competing against at the time? Oh, yes. I mean, I was, I always joke, my main competitor was Amazon. That was before. <laughs> I mean, Amazon was still large at that point, but not like it was today, of course. And so. Yeah. What year is this? This, is... this would be 2008. Okay. So Amazon is it's there mm-hmm. it's just not- and they're they're growing they're starting to hit right at that time pretty okay. much and they're selling mostly with electronics that right. was one of the big things so why do you decide to go into that um they're high margins electronics were hitting right then you know everyone was buying the newest stuff everyone had to get the latest electronics and then i had got into it i, I got real into it because it was a drop shipping technique i don't know if you ever heard of that it was where you would take so you'd make a deal yeah. with a manufacturer and then you would Rourke and a bunch of different manufacturers started drop shipping programs with this. And so what you'd do is you'd have an online site. I would get all the information of the products and put it onto your site and then you'd sell it. You never had to have inventory. This was the key to it because you could bootstrap the whole thing with very little money because you could, you they'd buy the products and you'd get the money transferred into your account and then you buy the products with their money. So it's just, it's middlemaning. Right? Exactly, okay. it's exact middlemaning. It's great for, you know, I'm 17 at the time, I don't have a lot of money to right, start anything right, up. Right. So that was the big appeal of the whole thing. Interesting. And starting to drop ship. And I was able to get, I mean, I spent four months running that after I got the site and everything up. And on the fourth month, I did $11,000 in like revenue out of the company. What, what is your family saying before you get into this? Are they like, what the hell are you doing? Or are they like supportive? Or? Um, they were definitely, they're supportive of anything I would do, of right. course. They were not happy with me at that point because well, my, my dad's very entrepreneurial. My mom's very educational. She, yeah. she teaches. She's a teacher at Penn Traver, has been for many years. Yeah. She works with CMU and their uh, living learn like their learning program and development within young children. So she she wanted me to go to college right off the bat and get into a school. And I, I opposed to that. So she wasn't necessarily the happiest with it. <laughs> but she saw that I was putting it and I was learning tons from doing it. And so she knew that it was something that could be end up good for me, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then once I was making some money from it, of course, then she started to be a little bit more supportive of it. It's amazing. You could do almost anything. And as long as it's making money, oh, parents are all in on absolutely, it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. So then you, you start this. You do it for four months. So in the fourth month, yeah. And this uh-huh. is one of the best lessons I ever learned in a business at this point. First off, I had not, I didn't incorporate this company. It started as just, you know, I'm running it. And you said $11,000 just in one month? Yeah, in revenue. Okay. Yeah. So obviously my margins, I think I made probably, when all was said and done, paying the servers, like to run the site and everything, I think I had cleared like $2,400. Okay. So it wasn't terrible for, I'm an 18-year-old kid. Yeah, I'm, right. You know, I'm mm-hmm. loving it. And so I was running scales through, and I had picked a very not crappy, but cheap credit card processing servers because you have to pay percentages out of your fees and then you have to pay upfront costs. So it was right. like, and I didn't have much cash, so I picked the cheapest one I could, of course. Do you which, remember what it was called? Um, I think it was First Deposit back then. Okay. So it was what, what's like the go-to one at the time that wasn't the cheapest option? Uh, back was then. Was it PayPal? Or is PayPal even... 
I think PayPal did have, well, well, you can have PayPal incorporated in without that, which I did. Right. And I would love, you wanted people to buy it through right. PayPal. But they also had an add-on service, and I think it was kind of them. Right, okay. now. right now, there's tons of them that are open up, like Stripe is real big right now. And then a lot of people use Shopify for this whole yeah. thing right yeah. now, which I wish Shopify had been around, but <laughs> then it would have been better. But so they didn't have really a good vetting process for the cards. So they would just kind of let any cards go through. And I had some orders from around. I did international shipping, which I probably shouldn't at the beginning. But if you were willing to pay for international shipping, I figured it would you know, go through. Yeah. And I had a couple bulk orders go through of some guys. And that's kind of what had made it pick up over the last month. People would buy 10, 20 cameras, basically, and then resell them. And so I had two orders go through, and it was for about four grand combined, both orders. A bunch of Toshiba laptops and a bunch of Nikon cameras, I yeah. remember. <laughs> And so I, I sent them out. The money went into my account. I checked my bank account like I normally was, and I shipped the cameras out. And so a week later, I get up, and I, I look on my phone or on my computer, and I'm like, oh, man. And my account was negative. It was like negative 1000 bucks. And I was like, it shouldn't be because I should have it flowing on that. Right right. And so then I realized that the credit card company, whoever, it was a stolen credit card that had bought those two bulk orders. It was an international stolen credit card. And obviously, whoever's actual card it was, calls their credit card company, they reviewed it, and they pulled it as a drawback out of my account. Because that's the business is responsible for vetting the cards and everything. And you couldn't do anything about that? Mm -hmm. Nothing. I mean, I, I contested it, and I mean, it took contesting was like six months, and then it came down to that I didn't do a proper job vetting it. Yeah. And I had no idea I was supposed to. That was such a learning lesson. I, I didn't have money to fulfill some of the orders I actually did have at that point. Wow. And so I kind of had to shut it down. I regretfully went to my, not regretfully, but cheapishly went to my parents, got some money to try to pay off those orders so yeah. that I didn't get sued or anything. Yeah, and, yeah. No. It's a good lesson, though. Yeah. I, I took one of the agreements, actually, of it, oddly enough, is I had to go back to school with my mom. <laughs> so I, I started going to school after that. Well, so are you doing this? You're, you're sitting on your computer all day? Are you setting up in a coffee shop? Like, what, Oh, what I was in my doing? house, yeah. You're in your house. <laughs> is is this something you think you'd still be doing if it hadn't happened? Um, Probably. Or something of that nature. I would probably continue to run the store. Okay, so when you were in college, you, you did this after college, or before college. Yeah, before college, so, I was 18. Right, so then you go to school, mm-hmm. and like, what are you doing to educate yourself, not just in how to not get sure. that, make that, let that happen, but like, sure. just in entrepreneurship as a whole? Sure, well, one of the big things, and the, the turning point there is I spent a lot of money, one of the big investments I had, because I did put a couple thousand dollars into starting that little thing up, is I put it in and I paid other people to develop that website. Yeah. And so that, it wasn't a great website, in my opinion. You know, it got some of the job done, but I felt like it could have been better done. And so that's when I started. I said, well, if I'm going to go to school, and like I, I clearly have to, and I can't start up another business because I don't have any initial capital for yeah. it anyways, I needed to learn how to build a website so that I wouldn't have to pay that. You know, if it took two grand for me to pay someone to make a website, which right. is way more even now, <laughs> then I could learn that, and then I wouldn't have that upfront cost again. Yeah. And so that was kind of what I started. I went, I started out at a community college. It was West Moyne County Community College. Town. And I started there and I just took all web development classes. Like How many I, people go to that school? Oh, actually, they've grown to get a ton of enrollment. They have about 9,000 a semester now. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was in like the point of it when it's it's cheap as all heck. And yeah. actually, you can get in if you're under that certain requirements that you get it's free totally yeah. free for most people and you're doing web design uh-huh i was doing all i took all the web classes they had actually it's still frustrated my parents because it wasn't towards a degree or anything yeah. like i eventually got an associate's degree from there just backing into classes and classes <laughs> but i wanted to learn 
what I wanted to learn. I really didn't care about anything else on it. How new is that program when you get there? It wasn't great, I'll be honest. Really? It was pretty, um, you know, they already have, they don't have a bunch of full-time staff. Like one of, the, one of the things they do, which can be great and it can be very bad, is they'll bring in professionals who want to make a little extra cash. So they're teaching a night class here, they're teaching a class here and there. And, right, right. You know, and so a lot of the students are actually working during the day as well. So those night classes are what really is gold. And so sometimes you'll back into a teacher who's really smart. They know a ton about the industry, and you get a ton of value out of them. Right. But other times you find someone who just doesn't care in there. Huh. Yeah. So I saw I experienced that. I'd say probably about 50-50 my classes were like that. Some of them were great in that web design, yeah. and some of them were just like, ugh. What are you doing outside of your classes? Well, at that point, I was actually – I had to make some money, of course, at that point. So I was good. I worked at an Eaton Park at the time. And so I got it's a the job. the most Pittsburgh thing you could do. Very Pittsburgh. Are you a cook? Yes. Are you a line cook? Or so I a... ended up doing it all there. I started out as a cook there. Uh -huh. my, my girlfriend at the time had had a job there, and I said, well, I guess I should get a job or something. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to school now. What's your specialty? What? Your specialty dish at uh Oh, at the Eaton Park? You, yeah. You make it, was that the cod sandwich or something? Like they that? do have the whale cod, yeah. <laughs> that, that was fantastic. But I was on, so I mean, I picked up the midnight shift a lot because then I was trying to get classes and yeah. everything done. Yeah, make a good day. salad bar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, salad bar was closed normally and I walked. Ours was the super burger I probably made. The super burger? Super burger. It's like a Big Mac, but with tartar sauce instead. Oh, my God. It's pretty good, actually. Oh, I'm sure it's really when good. You're, that's... When, when you're drunk, that is the best thing. It's so yeah, and you're working the midnight that. shift, you said. Mm -hmm. So that's that's prime time for Super Burger. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. I guess, okay, so you're doing all this. Are your classes benefiting you in terms of entrepreneurship or just like learning stuff that's benefiting you now? Are you learning more? I guess, is the stuff that you're learning in your classes more beneficial than what you're learning outside of your classes at the time? Because uh, social interaction, I feel like, is just as key in a lot of situations for yeah, entrepreneurship. Yeah, you know, I think I agree with that. And I, I mean, I get value out of everything. I'm, and I'm probably going to get right. the same amount of value no matter where I'm at because you always have to be taking a value. So, right. like, at school, I was definitely getting a ton of value from them because I was picking out classes, you know. One semester, I had the, ra I had the most random schedule ever. I had a web design class, I had a Photoshop class, and then I had contract law and business law. So I was just all over the board, but I wanted to, those were things I kind of needed for an entrepreneur. But That's like the, a great package to have. For yeah, it was nice. But when I told people about it, they just looked at me like I was insane. Yeah. Well, I feel like when at that time, well, not at that, I, I feel like it's just not as not, like easy to recognize. Like sure. this is a perfect repertoire of classes, and it's not towards a degree, so that's what makes it. Right. So everyone right. says, "Well, what degree are you going to get with that?" And you're just kind of like, "Well, I just want to learn." That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so then from there you graduate. Yeah, I finished then, in three C's there. In three, oh, okay. And then do you go straight to Pitt? Yeah, I went right to Pitt after that because I had reached. That was kind of when mobile development started being huge yeah. and the apps were huge and so at that point I really had reached max capacity what I could learn at that community college I had had every certificate you could ever get in web development there I so that I couldn't learn anymore and I needed to get into an environment and then more importantly I wanted to get into an environment where there was booming startups you know out in Greensburg there there are small startups most of them are machine shops right, most of them are. Right. I recognize that I look at Pittsburgh and it's just ready to blow up in tech and this is you know four or five years ago you could see it's just sitting there and then Pitt is obviously right in the center of it so I wanted to come here specifically so then I figured yeah. and I wanted to learn more importantly a deeper level of programming so that I could make apps so that I could make servers so that I could 
you know, actually create something right. better than just a, a web page and some landing pages. Yeah. Are there stuff. companies that you're seeing while you're, like, I guess as you're finishing up undergrad that you're like, oh, like, I would really want to do something along these lines? Or, I mean, clearly you were interested in apps. Sure. Right? So, I, I was hugely into apps. And at that point, I had been, I had spent you know, probably those full three or four years working at the Eaton Park, and I had worked my way into a manager there. And so I had, could see all these problems that were in the restaurant and kind of what was going on here. And so I did become very interested. One of my favorite apps was one, it's No Wait. See, I've been acquired yeah, by yeah. Yelp already. And I followed them because that's right about near their beginning when Rob was working it out. And you saw them kind of start off with a couple restaurants and then he hit a big deal and he got into Burgatory and then he grew from there. So that definitely piqued my interest into like, huh. I guess, a food tech scene here. Yeah. What kind of stuff are you learning when you're there that you recognize could be, I guess, technology could benefit? Like, are you rec- like at Eaton Park? Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's tons of inefficiencies there. And especially like yeah, Eaton Park's a weird case study because you do have some restaurants that are restaurant chains and they're they have a big group of people who are investing into like finding different technologies and stuff. So their kitchens at least have screens and monitors and right. it becomes a give and take between spending more money on it and giving up with Eaton park. They were kind of in the middle. And so they didn't have really most of the technology that they're going, but they had some of the cash to buy it and they could invest into it. But they weren't. Yeah. Well, so, did they feel like they were going to really benefit their business by investing in it? I guess that would be the question, right? Is like, is it going to make that much of a difference? Yeah, and it wouldn't with that. And I also thought that Eaton, Eaton Park or Broadhurst Group is the one that owns them. Yeah, was kind of at that time was pushing in towards a different growth expansion, and in particular, Hello Bistro. You right, know, Hello, Hello Bistro, Bistro's, the Porch, mm-hmm, like those yep. places. Yeah, so and I, I think that's what they see as their big growth opportunity. It's more their priority, and they use like mm-hmm. the tradition of Eaton Park to maintain like exactly yep. their followers. That's interesting. So, what did you do? You like food, and you like apps. How mm-hmm. is this? So, tell me what happens next. So, you know, I'm at Pitt, and I had gotten, I had had the itch to start something up at that point again. Yeah. I finally had a little bit of money under my belt. I had actually gotten a new job at that point. I was writing as a journalist for FanRag Sports out in Arizona. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, I had had some money now behind me, and so I wanted to start something. I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to start. I knew I wanted to get into the food industry, but obviously I can't make a no-weight clone. Right. I can't, you know, you got to do it. And you're living in Oakland at the time? No, I never moved to Oakland. I have a house actually out in Greensburg. Oh, okay. So oh, still... You drove here every day? Mm-hmm. Yep, I still do every day. It's, wow. It's peaceful. You can, yeah. you know, can kind of get some stuff. Yeah. And it's good now that I can talk to the phone, so I can still, like, email and send texts. <laughs> yeah. and drive, you know? makes it better absolutely but, so, yeah, so i'm ahead. at pit and you know i come here and, and i'm taking all these tech classes and i had actually met somebody who definitely influenced my life a lot his name is tim james and he was a um, adjunct professor here he taught base beginning level not beginning level, but the moderate level like programming classes and then he teaches the web server class well did at least and he had at the time he had just gotten a new job at google and so everyone was loving him because they thought he could get a job at google and I liked him because he was a good guy. He was nice, and he actually taught you relevant stuff. Sometimes people get caught up in the academics of it, and they're not really focused on what's the day-to-day grind of this actual job. Hmm. And so Tim knew the day-to-day grind, so he was teaching that to people. So right. I, I liked that. And so then he came to me, and he came to a bunch of us, and he said, well, he was kind of entrepreneurial, but he had started – a bunch of businesses that failed basically like he he had always missed the timing of it person he always jokes that he has a whole bunch of i don't know if you remember they did made hd dvds at the yeah. same time blu-rays came out yeah 
So Tim was certain that Blu-rays were going to die and that HD DVDs were going to take off. So he started a Netflix subscription type service. He invested like five grand into buying all of these different HD DVDs. And now he didn't sell any of them and they're just sitting. He has like. He just has boxes, boxes of HD of DVDs. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so he always jokes that he always misses. He's always got the bad timing. Yeah. <laughs> But his goal was he wanted to connect. He saw all these tech kids who had great potential here. And then he saw one of the better, you know, the best business schools and best business kids we ever have in the world. Yeah. And they're not connecting at all. You know, you know we're getting great ideas over here and we have great people to make these ideas over here. And there's no like bridge at all right, to that. Right. And this was actually before the Innovation Institute it was like my first year at Pitt was the first year of the Innovation Institute had started. That was when Babs came in and everything started getting with it. Right, right. And so his plan was he wanted to start a club called, and he was going to call it Students for Startups that would connect everyone, basically. And so he sent out a big list to his big email list, and we had our first meeting at Google over in Bakery Square. And it was in the summer. A bunch of people show up. We probably had 50 people show up because wow. it's at Google. Everyone wants yeah. to see Google. Everyone knows Tim is actually one of the hiring reps there. So right. You said it at Eaton Park, you'd get a different crowd. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We would have, even if we had done it at Pitt in like the library, we would have gotten yeah. 10 people. You know? I actually just thought of an idea for Tim. He should have all those HDVDs and open up. He should go back in time, make like a blockbuster type of thing oh, now, just like should. a house and rent I out think those. he should do it anyways. I told him I told him he needs to buy a bunch of VCR. Like, I was going to say, know, for everybody tapes. who bought HDVDs, uh-huh. DVDs, there's people who bought HD DVD players. Right, you know there's some people that have an HD DVD player and they're just searching. And now you have to make a dating app to match those people, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so you go to, this is nuts, so you go to Google, he's mm-hmm. a hiring rep there, you have kids who are just like, like yeah. just and everybody's drooling. Pumped. Yeah, right? everybody's pumped. Yeah. Everyone contributes <laughs> to the idea. Everyone's like, yeah, we want to go forward, we want to go forward, we want to do this. And so I got back and I said, yeah, I, I, I see like a purpose for this, but Tim obviously is busy. He wanted looking, I could tell he was looking for someone to step up and actually make this a thing. And so I took a whole night and I wrote this big kind of, I guess it'd be like a memoir of what I thought Students for Startups could become and what we could do with it. Like a manifesto. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. And so I sent it along to Tim. And I just like, learned that term yesterday. So yeah, it's good. It's a good one. Yeah. So I sent it to Tim and the six others, and he agreed. He thought that was a good path. And so we took, so we started it up, took a vote of everyone, and then suddenly, you know, people weren't as involved. And yeah. We, we narrowed it down. We had a good solid, like, 20 people that were okay. actually interested. So you, you sort of weed out the, yeah, The people who really didn't care. The people care who just liked just the name to, Google. Right? Mm-hmm, exactly. And yeah. so then me, actually a kid named Adnan Khan and Robbie McKinstry started it all up and we started kind of you know we'd have every two weeks we'd have meetings where we would do different things like one time i did a uh, i called it the spaghetti challenge and so you got spaghetti string and and tape and, and you, you had, pour it on your head for a good cause <laughs> <laughs> no you'd get every team would go into teams it was a prototyping tool so then every oh, wow. team would go into a team of five yeah. and you'd have 15 minutes to make as a high stranding spaghetti structure with just the <laughs> string tape and spaghetti and it had to hold a marshmallow at the top. And then whoever got the highest one won. I, I think we had like a $50 gift card to Chipotle that we had gotten. <laughs> yeah. And so we did events And these like are all that. Pitt students? Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. All Pitt students. I, I did have one CMU kid who had come down because they actually were, they run a similar Students for Startups thing at CMU. And I had met him at a PGH Tech meetup event. And I kind of, I had actually was talking to over, I was talking to the lady who runs PGH Tech. And I was telling her about students for startups. Like the and, tech council, or uh, no? The tech council is the PGH Tech is just a meetup group. Oh, okay. This lady's been running it. And she does some good events actually. Okay. And so 
the kid had overheard it because it was actually at CMU. And so then he connected with me and we kind of would, I'd go to some of their meetings, he'd go to some of ours just oh, to kind of bounce ideas off of it. That's cool. And so actually one of the ideas I had gotten from them was he had a quarter coder event where he would bring in, he would, he like targeted a bunch of business students with flyers and everything on Facebook. Yeah. And then he would get them to come in with ideas or anybody that had ideas and you would have a three, four or five minute pitch to try to get other founders who could possibly cover the needs you had. So if you needed an accountant, hopefully there's an accountant out there. If you needed a tech kid, right, right. usually it was programmers. And so we had that event. And that was actually right about at the time where like I had scheduled the event and about a month before the event, I was out to eat with my girlfriend at that time. And we, we had gone out and she had a terrible meal. We were, it was a King's family restaurant. I'm going to blast them. I still love King's. It's one of my favorite I places. loved King's. Uh, the soup is what gets Don't people. Don't blast King's. Yeah. But that meal, just uh, she got a salad. Okay. She got a salad there a lot. And it was just disgusting. Was like, there was mold all over this egg. There oh. was brown lettuce. I mean, God. it was bad. Did she eat it? No, so I mean, she looked at it immediately, and I got a burger, and the burger's fantastic. So I'm hungry. I just she started. Just, like, swiped left, right? Uh, like that, yeah. Hard left. Hard but left. she's just mad now. She's just looking at me like, I'm hungry. I'm hangry. We can't eat this. And I told her. That's that, a terrible position to be oh, in. Because I'm you. stuck in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And she's a Like, ser- poor her, but like, poor yes. you. <laughs> so she's a server, and she hates, like, when customers send stuff back. Right. So then she right. doesn't want to send it back. I'm telling her, just get new food, get new food. And the server comes, she's like, no, I'm fine. And she just wanted to leave. So eventually, I like I took a picture of this gross salad. We left, and we fought all night because she was hangry and she was mad, and so I had a terrible night. And I'm like, man. So the next day, I get up and I was like, I gotta tell somebody like this Kings was terrible. I don't. I'm not gonna call them. Yeah. I don't have the check to do the survey. Just so before Yelp. No. So Yelp was still around. And Yelp was still getting big actually right yeah. then. And I got onto Yelp. This is how it all started. I go onto Yelp, and I started to write a review. And I hadn't even uploaded a picture. I didn't have anything. I put in, like, my name and made an account, and I started writing. And before long, I noticed I had written, like, a thousand words. I'm not even talking about the salad anymore. I'm just slandering Kings as, like, that particular King's location in general. And your ice is stupid. Yeah. I'm and your just, water tastes like exactly. bad it, water. It yeah, made no right. sense. And at that point, I look back at it, and I'm like, I'm not going to upload any of this. Like, I can't do this now. I didn't even put the photo. I just wanted to show somebody this nasty, disgusting salad I got. And I wrote all this. And it took me that long. So then I closed it, and I never put up the review. And so then kind of later, I was sitting there talking to her about it. Like, I really wanted to tell somebody and review this. And I thought, well, what if there was some sort of way that was focused on reviews that would focus just on that photo and, like, a short thing? So it didn't allow you to deviate from, like, right. the, co- the reason you got there in the first right. place. Right, exactly. So there was no distraction. You were just, hey, you had to write a quick review. You didn't really even have to, but it got the photo, and that was the main point. And so that's kind of when we started to flush out the idea. I had I had, had tons of ideas back then, and I was always flooding them out. I would get my friends. That's why my, my friends were probably hating me at the time because any idea I'd have – I'd, I'd love it, of course. You always love your ideas at first. And I'd tell everyone, and then they'd be like, that's stupid. Don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. And so I expected it kind of to happen with this one, and I get everyone there, I'm telling everyone this idea, and everyone's like, yeah, I love it. I love it. So my one kid that I knew, he actually runs a machine shop out in Delmont there. He comes over, and I tell him that he's like, I love it. Like, I can do graphic design. I can do this. I can do this. What do we have to do now? Like, what can we start doing to get this working? And I was like, well... I mean, yeah, we could start doing this. And I start actually logically thinking about what it moved from like, hey, this is just a crapshoot idea. Would this work? To like, man, what would we logically do to actually turn this into something? And he was just 
hardcore like let's go let's do it let's do it and he started making logos that night and we started working on it and we developed a real crappy little logo and i had and once i told him that i was doing this pitch like the students for starps was having this event we went hard towards the event and he spent three weeks every night at my house coming up with like different pitch material different like mm. creating a logo i even made a rough like draft of the app on a phone gap thing in like three nights that i was going to try to present as like a oh, little wow. demo of it. yeah i still have it it's so bad <laughs> <laughs> but is is that but so it was very the idea is just basically a binary review right like you either like it or you don't right you either like it the, the initial concept is that you either like it or you don't it has to have a photo, and the review has to be a short review. So we didn't know what it's it was like. One forty or less, right? It's two hundred is what we ended up coming to. But yeah, there's a, you know, it has to be short. That was the main goal. Do you fear? And I guess I ask this because binary options is just like having two options for stuff is like very much you either like it or you don't, right? There's mm-hmm. there's so many examples of this, and it's. I guess there's the positive of like just getting to the point, right? Mm-hmm. But do you see any cons in the opportunity to not exp- the, I guess the lack of opportunity to express yourself beyond just like sure. here it is, and then that's why you have the two hundred words. Sure. But I, I guess I don't know. Is do you think are there any downsides to this that you've noticed or picked up on? Uh, definitely, because some people, you know, definitely you're right. Some people say, well, this meal was meh. This right. meal was average. And at first, I definitely was worried about that. After time, I see it as a, you know, as we eventually work into a, hopefully a monetization plan with the app, it works into it. So usually when people have a meh meal, they put it onto the wall of fame. Right. So then the restaurant is happy because, you know, in the public eye at that point, you don't know the difference between, right. you know, whether this was a spectacular meal, obviously, other than looking at it. Well, that's an issue too, right? Is that mm-hmm. you... My mom only wants to write a Yelp review when she's pissed. Yeah. You know, and it's not her fault. She just, mm-hmm. she feels more of a need to tell people. She wants to tell family when she's having a, like a mm-hmm. good meal. But when she's not having it, she wants to like warn others. Yep. And I can't tell if it's like a, a like a philanthropic side of people. They're like, we want to help people not have not this have crappy salad. Right. Yep. But or if it's like people just feeling the fact i guess appreciating the fact they have an outlet now Mm -hmm. right everybody can tweet about the crappy salad they had now so what what bumps have you gotten into because clearly this has taken off right so now i mean or it's about to right like where where are you at now so you're so right now we've been restructuring it really and we did so we took in a bunch of that data and we so like i yes and you said you exactly hit the exact problem we were at right there people love telling it if it's crappy but it's a good meal they're kind of like that, right. you know. So then where were we, you know, how could we get this so that it's a part of everyone's daily routine and life? Because we could have, we could grind it away and try to scale, which we'll continue to always do. Or we could try to get smarter about the way we can do that. And so what we have been really working on now and been trying to get into the system is I call it a POA or a POE, the point of eating. That's where we want to get to. <laughs> So like we want to get right on that table until you know that point. So that and then one of the things we really this was the biggest piece of feedback I, we took in and what we've been working on now, is that people would be like you know I got my food and I ate it halfway and then I remember, and then it'll be like and we were doing different reminder things so that we would ping people like hey you're at Applebee's right now you know tell us how your meal is right. it, you know and we did different things but we were hitting people almost like. People didn't want to take a picture of it half eaten because if it was good, it kind of disowns the picture then. Right. And then they weren't remembering right when it got to that point of eating. 
So then our goal has thus become to try to get to that point where you're working with restaurants and you're doing partnerships with them so that, hey, we put that on their table. Did you have a good meal today? Share it with your friends. Right. So it's like the little uh, table stand. Exactly. Like a table tent. And so then we've been trying to, in our prototype right now, we've been doing a QR code onto it and then it brings you up just a camera. You know, you get to your camera and that's it. So you're not writing there. You're not doing anything yet. You're just boom to get that photo. Now, like, what other ideas had you run to potentially get people to remember to take these photos? I mean, aside from, you know, maybe it's a reminder based on location. Maybe it's a reminder sure, based on that was the main timing. one, the reminder based on location. We did the reminder based on time. The time one was tough, mainly because... Nobody eats meals. No one's eating, yeah, exactly. No one's eating meals at the same time. Then it became a logistical uh, problem for us as a company because I couldn't just put it on autoplay, you know. I couldn't just set, hey notification every day at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time because at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time if we got you know a quarter of our users are out in the Pacific in a time zone you know I'm pinging them at two based off of that so you could work out different different things to set it up so that you would be pinging at different times but then we're it would kind of be a complicated system with us and we're already a very small development yeah what about the idea of doing now I'm just throwing these at you like was it um was it ever discussed to do, like, I guess the idea of incentive, right? Like, people remember things more when there's a potential for sure. reward. Mm-hmm. Did you look into ideas so for that? So that is one of the, so incentive is something we're trying to work with with each restaurant. So one of the main goals we're trying to get at now is we're, we want to develop partnerships with all of these restaurants. And Hey, we're at your center. We want to be the center of you. And then we want to be able to offer those incentives. So, hey, if you got a good review, and one of the big things that will be coming out in our next version is it's a connection to social media pages, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And so then what we're trying to do is be the hub, the central of yeah. all of those food photos on the Internet. So that then, and one of the big things we can do for the restaurant right now, because we have a small user base, so then obviously their marketing, we can't get much money out of them in a marketing right. sense, and we need to monetize to get up to scale, of course. Yeah, is the risk you run into with restaurants, or not the risk, but is the trouble you run into with restaurants, like, you know, either way, whether it's a good meal or a bad meal, you, you know, you're you still paid for her salad, right? Mm-hmm. So, like for them, all they're doing is potentially risking themselves. I mean, just as much as putting themselves out there. But sure. like, let's say a bad line cooks on there one day. All of a sudden, that represents that individual item for everybody who's ever made right. it. Right. Well, that's the thing we wanted to fix for these restaurants, and that's kind of our main goal here. Is I wanted to get into restaurants to correct those bad those bad kind of experiences. So say you were at the restaurant to help with quality control, right? So you got a person at the restaurant and they just got a bad salad. And so then they took a picture of it. They put it onto the wall of shame. The restaurant software that we've been trying to develop for them is that it pings whoever that manager is right then and there. Hey, at table 30, they just had a terrible experience. Go correct it, go do something, you know? And so then the manager goes and says, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Your food is, was terrible. Hey, can I, I'll get you a new salad or I'll do this. And then after they correct the situation, giving them a gift card or whatever they do, yeah, that's awesome. food chain could then ping them and say, hey, did they fix your problem? Maybe take your food chain, you know, take it, it down from say, the wall. Like, was the problem resolved? Mm-hmm, right. right. And so then that gets rid of that bad advertising that just got put up for the restaurant because that was the ultimate problem I was trying to solve. My girlfriend's anxiety to not send that meal back right. and get one that was fixed. So now the restaurant doesn't know, and I saw this was the main thing I saw at Eaton Park, is that people who had bad experiences didn't want to complain about it, whether they thought people would spit in their food or what they thought about it. They wouldn't complain about it. They'd leave it uneaten, and then they'd never come back. 
They're never coming back to Eaton Park. And then we had the surveys on the bottom of the checks, but we never got those back. And the only people that would fill them back is the day-to-day regular who comes in and gets rye toast and coffee every day. <laughs> you know, He wants 10% off his rye toast and coffee every day, so he fills them out on his phone right, every right, morning. Right. Yeah, I guess there's... What feedback does that do for us as a restaurant? <laughs> Right, you know, you have people who are just saying their meals are bad just for the discount. Like, you know, it's like my, mm-hmm. it's like a grandparent writing a, a handwritten letter to a place just so they send a gift card. Type exactly. Thing. Or, I mean, I guess you're also dealing with, um, with the potential for people to be afraid to write a negative review while they're still in the restaurant. Right. I mean, that's sure. We we'll definitely run that risk. Right. Yeah, and we've kind of tested that, and it's been. It's probably, it depends on the person. It definitely right? depends on the person. And I mean, obviously, like, we like to expand the test. But I'd say it's about 80-20 right now. People kind of have been slowly using it almost as a portal to them. Like, hey, this was bad. You yeah. know? So instead of telling the server, you could be like, boom, here, it was terrible. Interesting. And then, as you said, there's 20% that avoid it because they don't want somebody to come to their table. Hmm. But they're the same people who are fearful of the interaction anyways. Right. You know? It's geez. It's it's a there's definitely a window there. I feel like it's a lot of trial and error and, and it's tons. It's way more than I had ever really thought yeah. or imagined. So where is it? Are we are we released yet? Like are we so out had, there? So it was a yes, and it. So I had the iOS and Android. We actually released in during the Randall Family Big Idea contest. Is it on this app store? Which was last year. I actually pulled it down because of our next. I had to change the server. Okay. For us doing our newest test. Oh. And so it was slow. And honestly, the search. I had a major problem with the search that was causing it to die out on about eighty percent of users when you were searching for a restaurant. And. You have users, but you pull the app. Sure. Is mm-hmm. that... And they're still on it. So okay, if, if so you they have it on If there. you had the app on your phone already, you still have it. Gotcha. Yes. Now, do you give your users a heads up, like, hey, we're doing some stuff? Yeah, definitely. We uh, send them all how many users do you have right now? Uh, we were at 900. 900. Mm-hmm. And is that a lot of... How are you spreading the word? Like, you, you weren't necessarily a marketing person, so, or maybe you were. Like, I, I don't know. How sure. do you... Do I am that? a marketing person today, actually. Oh, how so, I, yeah. So, so how did I spread the yeah. word initially? ground and foot i'm grinding yeah, at that yeah, point. yeah i'm talking to people because no one knows what it is and we're looking for beta users then you know we're slowly trying to go. so i expanded off of my friends and then expanded off of pit i went anywhere i could anybody who would listen to me oh, so you're hardcore deal. marketing hardcore yeah. <laughs> i actually even during the one during last summer to kind of because we wanted to build out a big test and see where we were at see if it was viable because we only had a couple of developers who you only have so much longer before we either monetize it right. or you're going to lose those right, developers. Right. So we wanted to go hard with that model. So I even Ubered over the summer a little bit where I just marketing material the heck out of my car. I put food chain stickers everywhere. I was every person who got in the car, I'd literally yeah. like make them download the app and I would talk with them and get <laughs> feedback and everything. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely the way to do it. I've been Uber driving also and I, I'm figuring out what I want to push. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing is you if you want a random assortment of Pittsburghers or people, it's easily the best way to get a random survey of Oh, absolutely. Of people. It's like the best social experiment you can do. Yeah. Really. So what what else are you learning when you when you're going through this? I mean, what stuff as an entrepreneur, as app developer, like what are you taking away sure. that you'll either continue to apply to this, but you'll also apply to your next project? Oh, uh, well, everything. Unless guess. you do this the rest of your life. I mean, I've learned more about everything of this you know on this on the programming side i definitely developed learned i guess part of me you know i had done many projects in school and one of the things school didn't necessarily prepare me for was that in in the school we'll have an assignment you know i'll get a programming assignment it's two weeks 
finish the programming assignment. That's it. Right. You know, you got an A or you, you know, you got whatever grade yeah. you got. Same, and, you know, even when we'd have our own, like, you know, big projects, like I did when you did your capstone and everything, it would be a semester-long project. Right. You present the project, it's done. And with this, what I didn't realize is that it becomes a living thing and what it becomes... And it becomes a constant battle that you have to continue updating it. You got to continue, you know, there's always going to be, I, I, I thought there wouldn't be, I, I wasn't prevalent to the continuous problems that are caused by updates of phones and everything. You know, I remember actually when we were in beta stage and this was, uh, it was probably a month before the Randall family big idea contest. Yeah. I was working on the app one night. I had been, you know, I was trying to get this last push so that we could launch our first versions of the store there. And it was fine. I left uh, the old blast furnace room. It is the Innovation Institute now. Yeah. <laughs> and it was totally fine. It was probably 11 o'clock I leave there. It was all running, all good to go. And so then I went home, went to bed. I come back the next morning. I had a class. And I go back up to the room. And I open it up. And I, my laptop had updated, I noticed. And they had just pushed it. And they updated it to, like, Swift 3 now. And they updated iOS. I think it was, what, 8 or no, nah, it must have been 9. 9. Yeah. And so then... I go and I open it up and there's 10,000 errors on this God. and it won't even compile or it won't oh, run no. and I was two days away from it until it finished and I'm like oh man and then I don't really know you know I'm I'm new to figuring out different right. updates and what happens to this and you know we didn't do any iOS program we did programming but you there's still little intricacies of each right. different language and so um, I spent an entire two weeks just figuring out and getting it all back to what it was before, before I could even expand on to it. Oh my God. And we have that happen all the time. And I had no idea that that's a constant battle that you have to do when you're a developer and doing yeah. development teams. Wow. And how did you, how many people are on your team right now? Uh, right now we have four. Four. And how do you, when you're, when you're bringing people onto your team, you know, I feel like it's a lot of filling in the strengths that you're not hitting, right? Or it's filling in the Definitely. areas that you're, you're not, uh, you're not an expert in. Mm-hmm. Um, is there an order to the type of growth you want to do? Like, you know, obviously a lot of times there's you know, web developer and uh, maybe like more someone who's more on the business side or maybe there's someone with an idea and someone who can make it happen. Right? Sure. It's like whatever that is. Like, sure. is there a certain structure or specific, um, I guess, course of action that you suggest or is it just it's a very case-by-case basis? So I've seen this with both food chain and then actually we've been growing the marketing company that I'm a partner in and working with right now. And what I always like to do, and I call it, is forced growth. So, you know, you you could, like, we had made the mistake one time where we're like, okay, let's add people to this project, you know. If we get more people on it, more stuff's going to get done, right? And so as we added somebody, we didn't really know what we needed to have them do. We knew that there was a bunch of general work to do, but we had no idea of exactly what we were going to have them do other than get some busy work and hope we could create stuff for them. Right. And so as we started creating stuff for them, suddenly... The business, you know, it shifts every day. You wake up and every day could be different. You don't know what's going to happen on the phone. You don't know yeah. what your email is going to say when you get up. And all of a sudden, things can change. And so when we were doing that, all of a sudden, stuff shifts. And then now that person maybe was not, their skill set is maybe not exactly what you need, you know. So I like to do forced, I call it forced growth. So as soon as you get to a point where everyone is drowning in the work, basically. Bring someone on to really Get someone them. on. And then that person's onboarding process is a lot easier because they have purpose. How are you hiring them or how are you picking 
what that person's skill set is like are you saying i need a programmer are you saying i need someone who like just a a gopher when you're in the startup stage and you're in the first 20 employees you just need a a human (laughs) you want someone who's willing to do it all you want someone who has passion for that you know the last thing you want to get is somebody who's dead set you know if i go out there and i try to hire a javascript developer right yeah and i bring them in and they're i'm just going to do javascript development they could be the greatest JavaScript developer ever, but if you don't have, you know, you might one day you need somebody to do this, somebody to do this, and and a lot of times, although you have tons of job that type of work, yeah, that type of work is dependent on the other things getting done. So then he's bottlenecked right there, waiting for stuff to do, and you're pushing for all kind of different. So it doesn't matter what people you have; it matters. I mean, skill sets are nice to have, but what's most important, you're saying, is that they just are buying all the way in. Buying all the in. All I'd the say project. buying all in. And the number one thing I'm looking for is someone who's willing to learn and learn on the go. Right. You're not stubborn. You're not stuck in a hey, I, in a I, I do this. Skill. Yeah, yeah. Some people get used to them doing. You know, it's not like a normal job. Being a startup is nowhere near. In a normal job. You get assigned a task in a corporate world, and you you do that task every day. Your mm-hmm. job is to make sure that gets done every day, every day, every day, and you get used to it. In the startup world, you're doing every different thing in the world. There might be a whole year goes by, and you don't do the same thing each day. Yeah. And so they have to be willing to accept that. And you know, you obviously don't have all those skills when you go into it. You know, you don't, you can't know new stuff that comes out. So then, you have to have willingness to learn that and the ability to catch on to it pretty quickly mm-hmm. and jump right in. Wow. And you look back and you grew up with this construction company. Mm-hmm. And now you look at the company that you couldn't even, nobody could even imagined when you're growing up with a, right. a construction company. Uh, when you now talk to your family about like coming from, going from construction, watching that do well and then fail or, you know, go out of business. Mm-hmm. And then you proceed to try your own site and it works up until the moment you realize you weren't protected everywhere and then you get to school and then you meet tim and then you start this app and now you're working on this app like if there's one through line that you see um whether it's a skill that you've have whether it's like a a manifesto to yourself i mean uh or any sort of thing is there something that you've noticed has carried all the way through sure well so I mean, I have, I guess I have two ones that I, I mean, my dad would always say to me, there's three skills you have to do in life. You have to get up, you have to work hard while you're there, and then you have to communicate well with people. He'd always joke he wasn't good at communicating with people, but he was good at the other two. And I had always focused on being a good communicator with people. How can I define what we need to get done and without making them, you know, making them still feel good about doing the work? You know, he was always... He was kind of a, a mean SOB. You know? <laughs> he got stuff done and he paid people, and that, that's why they always did the work. Yeah. But he was, never had a great way of coming across. On right, right. And so I focused on that a lot of my life. And that's been a skill that has definitely helped me propel, and it's helped me build relationships with lots of people. That's one of the big keys in the start world because you're, you're meeting people all the time. All the You've got to meet people all the time. And if you're not, you're not doing it right. right. And so then you got to make bonds with those people and create relationships with them because then they're willing to help you, you yeah know? and that's been one of the that's probably the biggest key i've had before. Oh, man do you ever think you'll leave greensburg uh i have thought a lot about it really i have a house there that i kind of thought of, i have two houses there that i think i should just i'm trying to sell the one and rent the other one out i've been driving i started working well, this is probably about three months ago a guy i met 
actually through the Innovation Institute in, in that same Randall Family Big Idea contest last year. He was my mentor. This guy named Phil LeBoon. He owned a company called I, it's called iFlow Digital Marketing for many years. And he also owns a uh, wood company. They make wood products like it's called Wooden. They make sunglasses yeah. and all kind of different things. And so he had actually came to me while he had put something on Facebook and I reconnected with him. We went out and had a beer and talked. Yeah. And he had wanted to start up a kind of a different kind of marketing company that would be all social media advertising and like Facebook advertising. He had had a bunch of success doing this with, with the wooden company that they had. And so he wanted to push it forward. And we and so I started jumping on board with him kind of during the day and working out a nice partnership with them yeah. and starting to grow that. They had a lot of business and we still do have a ton of business. So it's been just growing. And I, that's been in Southside every day. So huh. I, I spend a ton of time in Pittsburgh. So it's getting the miles on my car are getting pretty bad now. It's getting to the point where you're thinking about the move? Yeah. Man, wow. But yeah, what I was going to say, what is it like to be a businessman in, uh, or just be an entrepreneur, an innovator in Pittsburgh? But, I mean, Pittsburgh's been probably the key to my whole growth, to be honest. I mean, we were sitting in the city, and it still is growing right now, that is just on the cusp of, like, booming right now for <laughs> tech, startups, and everything. And you yeah. can see it with all the companies that are opening up here. You know, we've had more startup incubators open up in the city of the Pittsburgh over the last 10 years than we ever had before. You know? yeah. I mean, there's an incubator everywhere you look at. You got Thrill Mill, which is a sender now. You got Alpha Lab, Alpha Lab Gear, Alley 22. Five years ago, none of these places existed. Yeah. You know, and even now we have Smallman Galley, which is one of the first, I think it's the first restaurant specific incubator in the entire Place world is so good so good. Stop been, going. <laughs> me too man i want to get a spot i've been joking that i want to take <laughs> i want to move the food chain office down into nova place you know that big mall down there because yeah. they moved down there yeah. i i love what they're doing there i think that's a great idea did you ever think of partnering your app with smart smallman galley and having a review type of thing definitely going on there? Yeah. definitely and that is really cool that is one of the ones we're going to get it working with them yeah yeah, yeah especially because that's literally uh, i mean they would benefit from those reviews probably absolutely with anyone that's awesome so anything else you want to plug before we head out we really appreciate you giving the time it's just really fun no it's been a pleasure yeah. i mean plug food champ course go on our site we're going to be running the beta pretty soon for the newest version okay so it's it's foodchain.co co is Cool. And I got to get the plug in for iFlow Marketing or it's Growth Stackers if you just search Do iFlow. It. We're running some of the best campaigns. I mean, we're doing over, <laughs> we manage over a million dollars in ad spend every wow. month. We've been changing companies' lives actually every Jeez. month, turning them around. And where are you based? It's on South Side. That's in the South Side. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Pittsburgh's the place to be for this stuff. It is the place to be. And if you're not We're in Pittsburgh, lucky. yeah, it's Greensburg if you're not in Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. And thank you so much. I thank really you, appreciate man. it. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Bending Steel is brought to you by the Innovation Institute at the University of Pittsburgh and is produced by Sean O'Brien and me, Jesse Irwin. For more episodes or info, you can find the Innovation Institute on Facebook, Twitter, or at innovation.pit.edu.